Go in your Bibles with me to uh, Joshua. We ended in chapter 6. We'll pick up there again this morning. And then I want you to flip over, hold your place there, and then flip over to the New Testament with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the last week of our series called Crossover. And as I mentioned earlier, we've been talking about the people of Israel. If you were going to end this series on a climactic high note, last week would have been the week to do it. I mean, we talked about the the people of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho, circling the promises of God, shouting victory, and seeing those obstacles and walls in our life that keep us from the promises of God falling down. And if you weren't here last Week, you, you missed a powerful moment as we ended the service, gathered around these altars, and, and we just shouted uh, a shout of faith and victory over the things in our life that, that God has promised and planned for us. And, and so if we were going to end on a high note, that was the note. But from the very beginning of this series, I, I felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to move forward into the next chapter. Because I believe there's something uh, that is going to kind of ground us a little bit and open our eyes a little bit to the reality of the process that we're in as the people of God. And I want to emphasize a thought to you today that even when you've crossed over, the battle isn't over. How many of you know that's true? Come on, I'm going to say that again. Even when you've crossed over, the battle isn't over. There's a lot of people who have... Uh, fought and, and scratched and clawed their way back from a, a low place to, to get to a place where they think everything is good, everything is okay, only to be lulled into a sense of complacency and apathy. And before long, they've, they've drifted back into a dangerous place again. Don't look at them, but how many of you know somebody that you, you've seen that happen in their life? You know, things seem to be going good. They seem to be getting things going the right direction and finally they're on the right track. But surely something something happened and, and you see them drifting back to a dangerous place again. Even after you've crossed over, the battle isn't over. The reason I wanted you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is because there's a warning that we get from the Apostle Paul in chapter 10 about the people of Israel, the people that we've been studying, specifically Moses' generation and Joshua's generation. Paul the Apostle warns the New Testament church, and I want you to look with me at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the first six verses, and then we'll jump down to 11 and 12. He says in verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant... Everybody say amen. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink and they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. That's a lot, and I don't have time to unpack all that today, but what Paul is saying is all the things that God did in the life of the children of Israel, that was done in Christ. That was a type of salvation. Going through the water, drinking from the rock, that was Jesus. Some people think you got to go to the New Testament to find out about Jesus, but I want to tell you, the, the New Testament 
is the Old Testament revealed? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. But when we get into the New Testament, all of a sudden the lights come on and we see all the places and pages where Jesus was. He's all through the story of the Exodus. He's all through the story of the crossing over. And that's what Paul's saying. Understand, these things happen to them as an example for us. Look at it with me in verse 5. Nevertheless, it says, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Well, doesn't that just make you grateful for the Old Testament? I mean, we've been studying this for five weeks now. This is the sixth week in our series. Aren't you grateful that we get to learn from their mistakes? We don't have to make them ourselves. These things were written down and preserved for us in the word of God, it says, as an example now look down at verse 11 and 12 with me. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So here's the warning for us today. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 10. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Even after you've crossed over, The battle isn't over. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The Bible says that we wrestle against rulers and against authorities, against powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That means there's a battle that's going on that you and I can't see with the naked eye. There's there's something that is happening around us. It's spiritual warfare that's going on in our lives and there's another enemy at work and it's the enemy that lies within our own hearts and so the bible gives us this admonition as we get ready to move into the story in joshua chapter 7 let me tell you what solomon said in proverbs chapter 4 he told the people of god he said above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from it Guard your heart. Lest we move forward into a place that God has for us as a church and and you as an individual and as a family. and, And while outwardly everything seems to finally be going in the right direction, something deceptively slips in your heart and in your conscience that begins to pull away at the ground that you have gained in Christ. Guard your heart, he says. And so in the story of Joshua chapter 7, we learn about another pile of stones. How many of you were here a couple of weeks ago when when we talked about the memorial stones? And and I had this altar here, uh, this pile of rocks. There's a pile of rocks that were sitting on the shores of the west bank of the Jordan River. And as the people of God crossed over on dry ground, 12 representatives of the tribes of Israel took those stones on their shoulder, carried it over to the West Bank, and Joshua stacked those up. In fact, if you're there in Joshua chapter 7, I want you to just flip back with me quickly to chapter 4, where Joshua tells the people why he did that. Joshua chapter 4. Verse 21, 
He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear your God. So there's a pile of stones on the shore of the Jordan that testifies so that the world will know that God is powerful and so that the people of God will never forget to fear the Lord. But there's another pile of stones that I want you to see today. And it tells a different story. And while this first pile of stones declares to us that God is faithful and that we should never forget to depend upon him, it's just outside of Jericho. Just a few days later, after they've conquered Jericho, they've seen the walls fall down. Just a few days later, just a couple miles on the other side, there's another pile of stones. And they tell a different story. And if the children of Israel were to ask their parents the same question, Mom, Dad, we know what those stones by the river are for, but what are these stones for? What do these represent over here? Then the parents of that generation would have to tell their children, these stones, they tell the tragic story of a man named Achan. They tell the story of a man who was complacent about the commands of God. These stones tell the story about a man who was indifferent about the sin and the evil that God had said he would judge. And this second pile of stones, they, they tell the story of a people who were arrogant and they thought they could just go out without seeking the Lord first. The Bible tells us about this second set of stones right at the very end of Joshua Chapter 7, verse 26. I want to read it and then we'll back up and look at the story. Verse 26 says, Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble ever since. There's two piles of stone. One that testifies of who God is and what God has done. And it's a reminder that we should never forget him. And now another pile of stones that represents people who are indifferent to things that God calls sin. To things that God says, I will judge those things. This pile of stone says he was indifferent. This pile of stones says he didn't obey the commands of God. It's easy for us sometimes to just make up our own mind about what we're going to do and, and to ignore the commands of God. That's what these stones represent. They represent a people who were arrogant. 
who just assumed they knew how to do things now that they had already seen some success. And so I want to talk to you about this second pile of stones. Go back to the beginning of the chapter with me. We'll read the last verse of chapter 6, and then we'll jump into chapter 7. It says in verse 27 of Joshua 6, are you there? It says, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Next verse, but. Don't you hate when somebody says something good about you, and then follows it with but? Like, you feel like you're being set up. Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. Everything's good. But, it says, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Can I tell you about that word, the devoted things? The word is cherim. And it's a powerful word in the text here. Uh, it, It means things that are irrevocably given over. Either things or persons irrevocably given over to the Lord. Often given over by total destruction. It's a very powerful word throughout scripture. These things were devoted. They were to be given to God. And in this case, as in many others, to be totally destroyed. But it says Israel was unfaithful with the devoted things. I want you to go back with me one more time into chapter 6 to see what God said about the devoted things. Look at verse 18 with me. In chapter 6. In fact, let's back up to verse 16. These are the instructions just before they conquered Jericho. The seventh time around, it says, when the priest surrounded or sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted. There's that word, to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. Look at verse 18. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring on your own, bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, here's the consequence. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So God had spoken clearly. If you take these things that I'm calling mine, if you take the devoted things, you're going to bring trouble on Israel. And here in verse 1, we see that they were unfaithful regarding the devoted things. And it goes on to tell us exactly how they were unfaithful. Look at the second part of verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. You know, I just want to throw this out here because as I read this story, there's a few hurdles that we have a hard time getting over. One of them is the idea that God would punish a lot of people for one person's sin. And can I just say to you that that we live in such an individualistic society. We would love to just believe that we can we can do things on our own and that they'll have no effect on anybody else. We would love to think that that we can sin in and of ourselves and that it's not going to affect other people. But I want to just remind you this morning that no man is an island and that when you make choices it has an effect on others, specifically on your own family. 
The Bible says this to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is one of the commandments of the Lord. One of the Ten Commandments that he gave to Moses. It says, you shall not make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. So many of us, we could quote those Ten Commandments. And we know that one of them is that we should not make any graven image. That's the second commandment. Don't make any graven images or bow down to him. But listen to the rest of the verse. He says, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What God's saying in that verse is that the choices you make, are going to have an impact on your children and on your children's children for good and bad. That can be an incredible blessing. I've often testified about how grateful I am for the legacy of faith that I have, that that I was uh, raised by godly parents. Not everybody in this room has that testimony. Some of you have had to overcome and maybe are still overcoming a lot of things that you had nothing to do with except that it was the environment you were raised in. It's not your fault, but and you can get victory over it, but it's a battle. It's a process for you. Why? Because your parents' choices affect your life. And it goes the same for us in our families. I'm either right now creating an atmosphere in my home where faith can thrive and flourish in my children, or I'm creating an atmosphere of a dry and a sun-scorched land where their faith is going to be withered and frail. I don't know about you, but I want my home to be an incubator for the Spirit of God to be developed in the hearts of my children. And so it's hard for us sometimes to read a text like this one and not think it unfair. But the reality is God spoke clearly about how He was going to judge the people. You know, I don't have time to to go into this, but just on a cultural point issue about how your actions uh, and your character affects the rest of us. Uh, I, I read a blog that was posted this week by a pastor that I have a lot of respect and admiration for, uh, Pastor Max Lucado. He wrote a blog this week, and, and the title is called Decency for President. In 30 years of his ministry, he said there's only been three times, this being the third, that he's ever spoken out about politics. The other two times, the topics were Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. So you can see how he saved his comments for some pretty significant moments. He doesn't want to dabble in politics, he said. But he wrote a blog this week called Decency for President because he was just astounded at the lack of decency by the front-runner in the GOP. All the while waving a Bible and touting to be a Christian. Now, I'm not up here this morning to, to talk about politics. I, 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 would, I would, if you want me to back somebody, I would back Max Lucado. I think he's a man of God. I would encourage you to read his blog, Decency for President. You can Google it. But the reality of what he was saying and what I'm trying to communicate today is the way you act matters. The way you talk matters. The way the president of the United States carries himself represents us as a nation. And 
the, what you do affects other people. And so Achan took the devoted things. And the Bible tells us what happened after that. Now, at this point in the story, and I, I need to hurry, so I'll paraphrase a lot of the story. At this point, they don't know he took the devoted things. We know it. The author gives us a little foreshadowing in the first verse. And so now they've conquered Jericho. They feel empowered. They feel victorious. God is for them. And so Joshua sends a couple of spies to go into the next town. He's already plotted his military strategy. They're going to take the city of Ai. And so he sends some people up there. They scout out the land and they come back and they say, Joshua, don't bother sending the whole army. There's only a few people that live up there. Just send a few people, just a small delegate to go up there and conquer that city. And then the rest of us will move in. That's exactly what Joshua does. He sends about 3,000 soldiers. They go up and they attack Ai. And to their surprise, that little community rallies back and absolutely routs Israel. They chase them all the way down the slopes and they kill 36 of Israel's army. 36 people die. And so here's Joshua scratching his head. He's going, what just happened? I mean, we just took Jericho. We took this big city, this fortified, uh, impenetrable fortress, and, and we can't beat Ai. And then he begins to realize what's about to happen. And so he starts praying. The Bible says he humbles himself before God. He falls on his face. God, what, what's going on? What are we going to do? Word's going to get out that this little community defeated us, and all of the other nations are going to rally around us, and they're going to destroy us. And he even says these words. He says, God, it would have been better. For us to be content to live on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, he's in his mind, his faith is so rocked, he's undoing all the victories that God has just given him. He's absolutely devastated before the Lord. He's crying out, he's saying, What is happening? There's something that, that we need to catch, though, in this moment. There's something that's missing in this story. In the first few verses, before they send their army out to attack Ai, we never see Joshua pray. We never see Joshua seek the Lord. We never see him ask the Lord, what do you want us to do next? God, thank you for giving us Jericho. Thank you for giving us a, a battle strategy. Even though it seemed unconventional and it didn't make sense and you told us to just walk around the walls and shout, you did it. So God, we don't want to presume that we know how to win battles now. We're going to fall on our knees and we're going to ask you, what do you want us to do? That never happened. Nope, they crossed over. They conquered Jericho. And they said, boy, we got this now. We know, we know how to do this thing. I'm going to just send a few of you guys because this, this is nothing. This will be a cakewalk. And they got embarrassed and they got beaten and they got humbled because they didn't seek the Lord. Now, the good thing is, if you'll humble yourself, God will speak. God, God will show you what is right. When you look at the story with me, the Bible says Joshua fell on his face and he cried out to the Lord. Look at verse 10. The Lord responds to him. Here's what he says. Joshua, stand up. How would you like if God responded that you're in the middle of your prayer, you're trying to do the right thing, you're calling out to God, and he says, Joshua, just get up. Get up. He says, what are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. 
They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and they run because they have been made liable to destruction. It's unfortunate that Joshua only humbled himself after he was defeated. Just think what could have happened if he had prayed this prayer before sending those 3,000 soldiers. If he had got on his knees and said, God, what do you want us to do? I believe God would have given him the exact same instruction. I believe God would have told him in that prayer meeting, there's sin in the camp. Somebody has taken the devoted things. And until you remove the devoted things, you are going to be liable to destruction. They could have dealt with the sin. They could have dealt with the things that were wrong in their heart and in their lives as a nation. And then they could have moved on in victory. But instead of coming to God first, they went out in arrogance. And they ended up being defeated. But God, God gives them an opportunity. He gives them an opportunity for repentance. Look at verse 13 with me. The Lord tells Joshua, go and consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Can I tell you, this is why God told Joshua to get up. God interrupted his prayer meeting. He, he, he said, just stand up. I just want to tell you this morning that prayer is not a substitute for obedience. That's the reality. You know, there's things that, that we often come to God and we pray about. And, and the Lord would just say, get up. And it's not because he doesn't want to hear our prayers, but it's because he's already spoken. He's revealed things. He showed us areas of our lives where we've we've got things that we've got to get right. There's priorities that are, that are out of line. There's things that shouldn't be a part of our life that are a part of our life. And then when trouble comes, when things don't work out, we go right back to prayer and we say, oh God, would you, would you help me? Yes, God will help you. He is gracious. He is faithful. Absolutely. He will help you. But the first thing he's going to ask you to do is to deal with sin. You know, the only prayer that God will listen to from a lost person is a prayer of repentance. God's arm is not short. He can reach you. He can hear you. But sin separates us from God. And so when we call out and we ask God to do things for us, and yet there's un, uh, unrepented sins in our life, things that we know dishonor the heart of God, and we refuse to deal with them, and yet we want to ask Him to bestow favor and blessing on us, God says, just get up. Just, just get up and, and, and deal with the sin first. So Joshua gets instructions from God. 
And Achan gets an opportunity to repent. God doesn't say, all right, line the people up. I'm about to point out the guy that took the devoted things and I'm going to destroy him. That's not what God did. What God did is he said, okay, tell the people to consecrate themselves. We talked about consecration a few weeks ago, but what he's saying is you tell the people to, to separate themselves from the things of this world and to set themselves apart for me, to purify their heart, because tomorrow I'm going to do something about this. He didn't say I'm going to do it right now. He gave him time. So just like everybody else in all Israel, Achan had an opportunity that night to go home and consecrate himself. He had an opportunity to confess to Joshua what he had done. And so God in his grace gives him a chance. And I just want to say to you today that God will give us a chance to come clean with our sins. But what you don't confess in private, God will expose in public. Mark my words. The Bible says this in the book of Numbers. Your sin will find you out. I know know sometimes it's hard. To think of the repercussions of confession. But hear my heart today church. The pain of confession. The outfall of confessing. Is so far less. Than the consequences of hidden sin. The Bible says in in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus teaching us how to pray. He said these words in Matthew 6 verse 6. He said when you pray. Go into your room. Close the door. And pray to your father who is unseen. You know what he's saying? When you go to pray, go deal with these things in the secret place. Go to a private place where nobody else is at. And close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then it says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, when we let God work on us in the secret place, he rewards us in the public place. But if we refuse... To let God deal with us in the secret place. We force his hand. And he will expose us in the public public place. It might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. But your sins will find you out. And Achan had an opportunity. God, This is God's grace. He wasn't one of the 36 that died. He wasn't sent out to fight Ai. It was his sin that had influence, that had consequences on other people, and yet God still gave him grace and said, tell the people to consecrate themselves. Tomorrow, we're going to deal with this. And yet Achan chose not to come clean with sin. So the Bible says in verse 14, God tells him in the morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have all the tribes of Israel pass before me, and I'm going to select one of the tribes. And then after all the tribes uh, are selected, I'll take out of that one tribe, one clan. And out of that one clan, I'm going to select one family. And as that family passes before me, I'm going to select the one man. And they probably did this by casting lots. A lot of times what they would do is they would just reach into a bag and they had white stones and a black stone. And if you pulled out the black stone, it said guilty. So you can imagine as the tribes are going by, they're pulling out white stone, white stone, white stone, white stone. And then all of a sudden it says in verse 16, the tribe of Judah passed by. They pull out a black stone. All right, Judah, y'all come over here. Here's an opportunity. Achan standing in the back. 
He's an opportunity to confess. He could come out and say, it was me, it was me. I can't believe out of the 12 tribes they picked my tribe. But instead, he thought, no, 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 no. Confessing would be so embarrassing. It would be so painful. It would be so consequential. Maybe I'll just try to keep this hidden and nobody will find out. And so the tribe of Judah passes before. And verse 17 says, the clans of Judah came before him and the Zerites were chosen. Oh man, that's my, that's my clan. Zerites, step forward. Here's another opportunity for grace. Another chance that the Lord is, is zooming in on Achan. He, he hasn't called him out yet, but he's saying, here's your chance, son. Here's your chance. He stays silent. And so the Zerites now move before him. And all the families come forward. And Zimri's family is chosen. Now a much smaller group stands before the Lord. And out of his family, it says Achan was chosen. Achan was chosen. At this point, it's too late to confess. It's too, it's too late to repent. His, his days of grace are over. God's already communicated the judgment that would come. And because Achan chose to hold on to the devoted things, he would be numbered among those things that must be destroyed. Him and his whole family. God said these things must be destroyed. They must be cut off. He gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to not align himself with those things. But rather than coming clean about the hidden sin in his heart, he hid those things in his tent. And he refused to be honest with God. So out of the whole nation, Achan is made to give an account. And I can imagine that his family members, (laughs) when that last black stone was drawn as Achan stood before probably the Ark of the Covenant and Joshua, they probably said, wow, Achan? We would have never thought Achan. Maybe his own family believed, wow, I can't believe that he would do this. Surely not him. But the Bible tells us exactly how him. And it also tells us exactly how it happens to us. I want you to look with me at verse 21. Because... Achan tells us what happened. And this is what happens for all of us. It says, he said, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And they are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. He said, I saw it. And then I coveted it. And then I took it. Let me just ask you to think about this process and consider the question, when does sin actually happen in the story? I've already read you one of the Ten Commandments. The Lord says, do not covet. See, it wasn't a sin that he saw those things. The sin set in his heart when he began to covet those things. The word says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house 
or land, on his male or female servants, or his donkey or his ox, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shouldn't see what somebody else has and covet it and desire and long for it. Because there's something that happens in your heart in that moment. And the Bible communicates to us what the the strategies of the enemy are to war against our heart. We won't turn there, but let me just share with you the threefold strategy. The Bible says in 1 John 2 and 16, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. There's a desire. There's the pride of life. There's the the lust of our eyes. Things that, that we want, that we desire. There's the lust of our flesh, things that we crave, things that, are, that God doesn't want us to have, but there's, there's a, a sinful nature that has a, a hunger and a drive to possess things. The Bible says these things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. James tells us that each one of us is tempted by our own evil desires. Something on the inside of us that is aroused to sin. Something in us that that pursues things that are not of God in our life. We see it in the story in Genesis chapter 3. When the the serpent comes to Eve and, and he tempts her with the fruit. She knows she's not supposed to eat of the fruit, but she does anyway, and, and she gives it to Adam. And, and the Lord comes, and, and he asks them, what happened? What did you do? Look at the similarity in her answer. Hear this. She said, it says, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree of good and evil, she saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. That's the the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. Here's what she did. She took some and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know, the devil even tried the same strategy with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus went out into the wilderness to pray, the Bible says the devil came and he tempted Jesus. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, at all points. He faced the same temptation you and I face, yet he did it without sinning. But the tactic of the enemy was the same for him as it was for Achan, as it was for Eve, as it is for you and me. Here's what the enemy did when he came to Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 8, It says the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Jesus saw it. He saw all the kingdoms of the world in its splendor. All this, the devil said, I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tempted him to lust after what he saw. See, Jesus knew, even in his earthly uh, life, he knew that one day he would rule all the nations of the earth. That was his place of authority. So it was a temptation from the enemy to say, I'll give you all of that without a cross. You don't have to go and die for the sins of the world. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be buried. You don't have to rise from the dead. I'll make you the ruler over all that you see if you'll just bow down To me. 
It was a temptation from the enemy. We don't have time this morning to to tell the story of David and how he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he ended up losing a child because of the consequences of his sin. But the reality is for David, it started in 2 Samuel chapter 11, as it said, in the spring of the year when kings go off to war, David stayed on the rooftop of his house. He was walking on the rooftop and he saw a woman bathing in the garden. He had an opportunity to make a right choice right then. He saw. It wasn't a sin to see it. Your mind is like a hotel lobby. You don't decide who comes into the lobby. But you do get to choose who you give a room key to. So many times we get thoughts that we wish we didn't get. We live in a perverted culture. We are saturated with things that want to fill our hearts and minds. But the Bible says, guard your heart. Achan saw the Babylonian garment. But he didn't guard his heart. He coveted. And once it got in his heart, once it gets in your heart, it always leads to action. And so he took those things. And Eve took that fruit. And David took that man's wife. Because they saw. They coveted. And they took it. Satan wants to do the same to us. As I think about the sad story of Achan's life. He's now standing. He's exposed publicly. Because he wouldn't let God deal with him privately. Now the shame is known far and wide. Now it's front page news. We've all seen those moments where somebody's sin is exposed. And it's shocking. And we all wonder, what happened? What happened? And Joshua looks at Achan and he says, give glory to God. And tell us what you've done. Now, he didn't, he didn't ask him to repent because it was too late for repentance. But what he was saying is, God has called you out. At least have the dignity and the integrity to admit to everyone here that God is righteous. That his judgment is fair. And Achan does that. He says, God, God is righteous. God is fair. He tells him what he did. He, he said, I, I took the stuff. I, I hid it in my tent. It's underneath the silver. And messengers, they run to his tent. And they go back and they, they pull back the covers. And sure enough, there's the silver. And underneath it is the, the wedge of gold and the Babylonian garment. And they bring the things out before the people. And they take Achan out. As the scripture read that we read earlier. All of those things. They were no longer... To be put in the treasury. These things were devoted for destruction. And rather than stepping towards grace. Achan aligned himself with things that God had said were devoted for destruction. And so all of those things. And Achan. And his livestock. And his family. Were completely cut off from God. And now there's a second pile of stones. Just outside of Jericho. That testifies. To what happens when we hear but don't obey the commands of God. 
These stones testify to what happens when we're indifferent about the things that God calls evil. He says they're, they're evil, they're wrong, and they will be judged. And he goes, eh, it's not a big deal if I just have a little bit. Just, just a little bit. Just one wedge of gold, just one Babylonian garment. Just a pound and a half of silver coins. It's, it's not a lot. Indifference. Indifference. These stones tell us what happens when the people of God become arrogant. Instead of going back to our prayer bones and asking God for his wisdom, his direction, and his instruction, we get one win under our belt and we run ahead of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so as, as we look at this story, I just feel so impressed today to pray. Because as I was reading this story this week, I just know in my heart, and hear me, my, my desire would never be to embarrass anyone. But I know in my heart that, that God is speaking to some people this morning. And the word he's telling you is, if you won't let me deal with you privately, I will expose you publicly. If there's hidden sins in your heart, hear the grace of God in this message. That, that time and time again, the Lord brings us opportunities. It's an uncomfortable opportunity. It's, it, it's a place we'd rather not be. But the Lord puts a spotlight on us. This is what David talked about in Psalm 51. This is the attitude we should take. He said, search me, O God, and know me. Test my thoughts. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. If we'll have that posture, God will do that in private. He'll search our heart. He'll test us. He'll reveal the things that we need to get right. And the Bible says, Jesus said, if we'll deal with those things in the secret place, He'll reward us publicly. But I feel so strongly that the Lord is using this message today to speak to someone's heart today. This might be your last opportunity. This might be your last chance to come clean with God. Say, God, I I repent. I repent for the secret sins. I repent for the things that I've kept hidden. The things that other people don't know about. I know you know about it. morning, I, I sense that God is gen, gently and lovingly wanting to deal with his people in a private way, in a personal way. 
It's the enemy's plan to bring condemnation. It's the enemy's plan to bring shame. The Bible says this, though. Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to ask you to bow your head with me all over this room. We're going to pray. And I want you to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to to speak to your heart. Give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to turn His searchlight on your heart and your mind. And if God's dealing with you about a sin in your life, a habit, an addiction, a thought, process something that you would just rather not deal with prayer is no replacement for obedience and there comes a moment and it comes a time God requires something from us we have an incredible promise in God's word It says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive your sins. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he wants to do. That's the heart of God, to cleanse you today from all unrighteousness. But it's conditional on if you confess. So right now, while your heads are bowed...